Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Dan Howells, your host for the Performance Strategies and Stumbles podcast. We have Steve Thompson again for part two today. Last week was a fantastic episode on practical takeaways using BBT in the weight room. And today he shares some of his stumbles. But before we go to the episode, just want to mention that there's an opportunity to win £600 worth of mentorship support from Collaborate Sports. All you've got to do is enter the competition. You can use the link in the show notes to do so. That's it from me here. Let's move on to the episode now with Steve. So welcome back to part two here with Steve Thompson in terms of the Performance Strategies and Stumbles podcast. And we're digging into the practitioner errors, mistakes, stumbles along the way for for Steve. So I'm going to hand straight to you, Steve. Like When I asked you to think about the mistakes you've made, what things have sprung to mind? What have you reflected on? Um, yeah, so firstly, thanks for, for the question because it, <laughs> it's, it's not something you think about. You often strive away from the, the mistakes, mm. but actually it's been quite a nice little process to, to, to really think back about where did I not necessarily do the best. Um, and I think something, and this actually then links into to a, a very recent meeting I had with some other practitioners in, in one of my roles that I do with, uh, with GB Diving around coaching yes. philosophy and, and how I approach coaching. One of the early mistakes I made, and this is sort of general mistake, um, is is not really considering the athlete in in the overall programming training solutions decision. Um, coming from academia, coming from um, undergrad, masters, um, going straight more or less straight into sort of technical work and lecturing, I, I kind of was almost built that, that the research is the is is the the golden ticket it, that's what we should be thinking about that's what we should be, be be basing our work on um you know we should be undertaking these really extensive and in detail needs analyses that consider physiological neuromuscular biomechanical demands and principles and all that kind of stuff um and then it's my job to tell them what they need to do and the more i did that and importantly the more i reflect back on that I just don't think that is the best way to approach it. And it's not what I do anymore. I think you really have to consider the athlete in that whole process. You know, if we, if we yeah. think about the, the MDT or the IDT or whatever the, 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 the term we are kind of using at the mm. moment, um, often that athlete is central and rightly so they should be central because we're working for that athlete in a sense. But actually there's no reason in my head that 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 athlete shouldn't be sat around the table as well as being in the table and being able to feed into the decisions that we yeah. make and the decisions that we ask them to go out and do because ultimately who knows the athlete better than themselves they've got lived experiences they know how their body feels they know how they feel after given stimuluses they know how they feel in and around competition and actually by including them in that equation we can really learn a lot we can learn a lot and we can we can make sure that 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 program and that approach is optimal and i just never did it i never did it i was very i was probably quite naive and and arrogant let's 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 get into it then let's let's get into like that what that looked like because that will be really useful for listeners who might go yeah you know i I actually do that and i didn't realize until steve just mentioned it was it was the process uh, information gathering needs analysis decision made program designed turn up one minute before the session tell the athlete you use the word tell there is that how it manifested or like what did it look like yeah more or less i think don't get me wrong i wasn't sort of robotic in that sense i i had Mm. held conversations with the athlete but that conversation was the start of the session 
how you're feeling, you know, blah, 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 blah. This sort of stuff we, we maybe talked a little bit about yeah. in, in part one. Um, but my program was fixed. And I think one of my downfalls still to this day, a little bit, certainly back in the day when, you know, 10 years ago was my ability to be flexible in the moment, my ability to be creative in the moment. If an athlete, if I planned this perfect little program, athlete came to me and said, I've got a dodgy back today. Can we do something else? Like a rabbit in a headlights. You know, I, I just yeah. couldn't get out of that. Well, this is my plan. This is what I need. I know I need to do. How am I going to move away from that? And, and I think it was something that I, I just, it took me a long time to get out of that kind of yeah. um, that approach. If the athlete turned up with that, you know, sore back, et cetera, what did you feel emotionally? Did you feel that that was a, a threat on you and your program that if they didn't do that back squat, for example? Or, and was it, was your response naturally, okay, you can't do lower body. You couldn't think on the, on the, on the fly there. What were the natural responses? Yeah, it was more the, more the latter, I suppose, you know, very in the very early days when I was, I was lacking confidence. I was lacking experience. I, I knew, you know, I had my certain biases to certain as, uh, exercises and approaches. And it would be a case of, right. Um, well, can you, it would almost be like, well, can you squat with a lighter load? Because my head wouldn't compute being yeah. able to then well why don't we leg press why don't we do a goblet squat why don't we do some kind of split squat to to, re to reduce the the torque and the tension on the lower back there was none of that none of that computed in my head and or if it did it would compute way after the fact and yeah. i think that's what i should have done i should have done that um I is, just is this does this does this come because there'll be you know you and i are both in education right and academics mm -hmm. and there'll be students that go through this process now and they're learning explicitly about exercises and intensities and that they tend to match them up right back squats a really good one to do for for 80 85 of the strength gain um and it sounds like you were trying to solve the problem with the exercise still the exercise was the solution was actually the whole thing about programming is is, is is a modulation of intensity and volume that's a principle and our exercises are just the methods upon which we deliver them and I look back to you know same same experiences myself as a young coach going, okay, well we we it was either we we shouldn't do any weights today, or it was oh well let's just move it lighter, yeah and yeah and actually I was probably deconditioning the athlete in that sense I was taking them a step backwards I was moving further away from any stimulus that I needed for them in a grand scheme of the athletic development mm. plan, and I think that's probably the one thing I hear now is that clarity of like principle driven programming as opposed to exercise driven yeah 100 percent. and and that's a really good point the whole the kind of the you know they come in with a with an issue all right we'll work we'll to snc today that mm -hmm. would have also been a default for me oh if you've got a bad back all right we'll we'll leave it for today you know and, and it might be body. yeah exactly exactly and it's like it, it was almost that was that was me i think i feel reflecting back anyway that was me um shying away from the hard decisions or the challenges and thinking it's easier just to leave it so i'm going to leave it you yeah know what i mean it, it feels like a risk doesn't it somebody's mm. presented to you something that probably gets presented as a crisis in our mind okay, yeah this is a problem i can't problem solve that back issue for you but i can work around the issue um and, and again it comes back to that question alluding to the way we get educated i was there myself but what you know, what would you give as a bit of advice to people listening who maybe are going through that development stage, feeling that themselves now? What would be your guidance as a mentor to try and help them learn from your mistake there? What should they be doing for themselves? 
I think the you know the the easiest way to come up with these solutions is to go and do it. So go and train. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hold my hands up and say when I was an early kind of practitioner, I, I wanted to be an S and C coach, but I didn't train. I didn't train properly. I didn't train effectively. Um, I was very much kind of the the opposite of the the type of coaches you might see today in the term in terms of they're big trainers and they just fall into S and C because it's something that they love. They love to train. I love to train now, but, but 10, 15 years ago, I, I wasn't really in that space. Um, so I think I had, I didn't have the underpinning experience of, right, well, if I can't back squat, I can do this today. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Um, and I just didn't try enough. So I think that is, a, is a, just a real simple way of go and do some, I tell, you know, I tell my students all the time, go and train. If you're not training, go and train. I think that's amazing for you to open up about that because, um, I think there's two types of person, and I, and I don't think we can be both through our learning years. We've got these very academically driven, theory-based, understanding those principles, or we're very application-based, experiential. It's very hard for the emerging coach to, to join those dots mm. unless they're encouraged into that. So I'll, I'll thank you for sharing that because that's what I do as well. So I, I call it, you've got to get reps under the bar. And if I yeah. think about all the people that I've worked with in SNC and physio, um, or even taught, you know, students I've seen excel at greater rates than other people, or young coaches emerge as practitioners through their career quite fast rates of of improvement, have been ones that have got the experiential side of it to bring to life the theory and have experience of what it feels like to move eighty five percent load. Mm, Understand it. what it feels like to to move the equivalent intensity on a leg press on a single leg uh, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Yeah. And essentially we're coaches who need a number of different uh, tools within a toolbox to resource at any one time. And ex- exercises are part of that toolkit, but it's understanding the right method for the right application. So yeah. I think that's cool that you, uh, uh, you have reflected in that way because it's something I think people don't own up to and don't get hold of quite, quite early on in their career. So that's yeah. really, really cool. Um, in terms of like other sides of your career, whether it's you know, dealing with injuries, conflicts, um, difficult situations, emotional problems you've, you've encountered through work, what other things have you reflected on in terms of the stumbles across your career that have been lessons learned as well? Yeah, I suppose, I suppose creating an identity as an S&C coach, I always struggled with. Hmm. I, I've definitely... I think even to this day, I still do suffer from imposter syndrome a little bit. Um, and kind of in certain situations, I'd be like, I mean, I, could, I don't know if I should be here. Even though I back yeah. myself, I back, my, I back myself as a coach, as a practitioner. I think, you know, I'm, 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 I'm supportive of what I can do. It's just I get into that, into that mindset. So I think when I, in my earlier days, certainly within, within the football environment, I was, I tried so many different approaches to what kind of coach I wanted to be, whether I wanted to be the, you know, the hard ass dis- disciplinarian, the, the mm. best mate, the, the hype guy, the, the kind of the, the comforting person that says, okay, well, you know, the, the, the solution based coach. And I tried all these different approaches and none of them landed. None of them landed because I don't think they were me. It wasn't that I was almost acting, trying to be a different person. So I think over time and I've, you know, I've got more experience, I've got more confident, I've got more knowledge, kind of just falling into 
being a coach that that represents me as a person better kind of holds my values in 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 position um and i think you know i get so much better response from athletes no matter who they are you know work with so many different athletes over over recent years and i can get those responses i can i can build those relationships in in those environments now so what does that look like then you talked about you've given examples of the hard nose the best mate the critic and these are all types of what I call, I talk to mentees about hats that they do have to consider wearing at certain times. Yeah. Uh, some more than others. But so what, what, if somebody came in and saw you coach them, what type of coach or what identity would they see? So I think, I suppose this goes back to the coaching philosophy type question, which, you know, mm-hmm. again, I'm not, I do have one, but articulating it isn't always the, the simplest, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I would describe myself as, as, a, as an educator. I think I would be, you know, a, a an athlete-centered educator that tries to drive autonomy within the S&C room, so or within this, with on the field, whatever the type of approach. So I, I like to try and educate. I like to provide those rationales, but do it in a way that computes with the person in front of me. So if they're studious, I'll give them the I'll give them the physiology if they're interested in that. If they're not, I'll give them right. This is how it's going to make you better at whatever you're doing. And I think that's mm-hmm. a really key part for me is 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 to 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 get that. Um, but I'm I, I don't I, I don't I think you're right. You, you have to be able to have those hats. You know, I've, I've been in situations where I have had to stop a session and say, right, this isn't good enough. But I think yeah. if you, from my perspective, if I do that only when I have to, I get the response that I want. If I'm myself, that is, you know, um, can have a laugh. Uh, you know, kind to people, listen, um, ask how they are, take an interest in their lives outside of the sport. Then if I have to go down that route, or if I want to have a, you know, if we want to have a a fun session or if we want to have, or if that athlete is just feeling pretty rubbish, I'm able to put my arm around them as well and say, right, let's actually have a proper conversation here. Um, And I think that's such such an important part of, of it all. So it sounds like there's the difference between adapting your style authentically and and tr- and trying to be something that is way out of your comfort zone, so far removed from who you are as a person, um, because you feel it needs to fit the environment. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like the, dis- the, the disconnect there. So then let me reframe the question, put you on the spot here. Does, does that give you a self-awareness now of where you are best suited to coach versus not coach and so in your formative years of your career were you looking to try and be on the ground in a rugby club and working with 45 players but now you have a niche that is more individual athletes small groups i don't know just good question yeah good question actually where people go isn't it i want to go work for a team but actually if they know themselves better would that get them further in on their career faster because they know themselves better does that fall into it do you think in any way um i don't know because i think the analogy used earlier around sort of reps, reps under the bar yeah. kind of works in this instance. I think you have to be yeah. exposed to lots of different environments to help build that philosophy, to help build that identity as a coach. So even to this day, I work with three or four athletes in a, in a gym at one time, and I work with 20 to 25 players out on a field at one time. Mm. So I, I am spanning that you know, large group to small group type, individual type approach. And I would say that my coaching is different, but I don't think I'm a different coach in those instances. I think I've figured out what works with the majority of people that I've I come across these days. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like whilst I can have those hats to pull out if I need to, mm-hmm. 
I often don't need to, or if I do, I can do it and it's, and it can be effective. Um, yeah. So I, I don't yeah. think I, I don't think I, I look for, I look for opportunities that interest me that I think I could offer something to and that I think, you know, might progress my career or is something, do you know what? I just really fancy having a go at that. And that's how I'll make decisions on if I'm going to go for roles or if I'm going to get consultancy work or, or whatever. Um, I don't think it's based on I'm this kind of coach. Therefore, I want to go and coach this kind of athlete or this kind of within this setting. Yeah, nice. I like that. I like that. So then, again, probing you again for another stumble reflection and mistakes you've made. Is there anything you'd look back on your career and laugh at, like in terms of, I can't believe I did that or, I can't believe that's the way I, I dealt with the programming in that way. You talked around how you, you know, you were quite dictatorial, I guess, in your program design originally. Is there anything else you've reflected on? I suppose there's, there's always kind of, um, and don't put me on the spot and ask for examples because I haven't got any <laughs> in a minute, but there's <laughs> always, there's always sessions that you look back on and think, my God, that was a train wreck. And, and, and mm-hmm. every coach, I think, you know, if we're going to kind of look a bit more philosophically, then, they're the, they're the sessions that often you get more out of because if it goes terribly wrong, um, you, you kind of, you, you know that you can reflect on that easier. It's easy to reflect on mistakes, you know, hence this podcast. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. easy to reflect on those mistakes and those stumbles than it is the, the things that went really well, I think. So that, yeah, of course, the sessions that I look back on, even probably to, to not stand by this so, so distant past that I'm like, that just didn't work. You know, that just didn't yeah. work. Um, and I, th- and I think why on earth did I try and do that? You know, I suppose one, uh, one example, which isn't necessarily laughable, but is working within uh, club football with a, a group of 20 lads and only two squat racks. I'm trying to be very, very specific in my programming that complements on field work. So acceleration, max V and you know, some of those sessions that I might have put together, it just, there's just too much going on. It's too busy and you've got players messing around, you've got players waiting around and, and you, you take a step back and you think just, just, just didn't work. You know, you need to yeah. strip that back. So I suppose, yeah, there's, there's always sessions like that, that you can think that just, just wasn't good. Yeah. And I've been there myself where it's just not flowed or you've set it off on the wrong tone. You know, like I always made a big point about informing athletes about the program design and what we were doing in new blocks and and as a decision around informing them it was a really good decision but Mm. the application sometimes was very very poor you talked about the beginning of the episode about meetings and a reference to something that happened recently was that an mdt meeting or oh yeah 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 how it manifests it it was kind of it's it's something new i'd not necessarily come across it uh in the past it's called a technical scrum um, and it was, okay. it was, a, it was a number of different, different practitioners around sort of a virtual table. Cause it was, it was via zoom. And we sort of, we started off by discussing, cause it was the first real one we'd done. So it started off by discussing philosophies and, and approaches to our own specific programs from the different sites and then started to delve into the weeds of what is it we do within our programs that directly inform performance. And it was just a real mm-hmm. nice, it was a nice challenge, um, or a nice ability to reflect on yourself, reflect on your program, be challenged within a space that was, that was respectful and that everyone was sort of pulling in the right direction in the same direction. Um, and, you know, created some real 
some real good discussions essentially and and you know it's it kind of it, it left me at the end thinking i actually can't wait for the next one i think the next one's going to be great mm. because we're going to go even deeper into some of these technical aspects of the sport and then how our program directly feeds into that um so it's just a really healthy kind of approach to, to the meeting i guess you're the the previous story about stumbling with regards to just writing your program irrespective of the environment the people the context um is the polar opposite right of doing yeah. things based on textbook and, and what you feel is is right what was it that drove that technical scrum as you talked about was it an external individual was it a concept you'd seen it elsewhere was it something you generated like how did you come across that strategy itself yeah so it was the kind of the the lead the head of the the de department essentially within um within the organization so so they kind of they've got you know years and years of experience really really well renowned for kind of managing mdts so he mm -hmm. came in and said this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it and i just sort of went along with it so it was, it was really like a really refreshing um experience for me it's nice nice cool um and then in terms of like you, you must be in a, a a role of managing other people now like in places whether that's in your academic roots or whether it's in uh, with teams is there anything from a leadership point of view that you've stumbled on you've had errors with um whether that's in yeah for, for me for example i made a mistake earlier in my career being quite a little bit too direct with my feedback at one point right. and i really burnt some bridges with some some peers and luckily a mentor guided me to say do, do you realize how that came across and i was able to, to build that bridge and right. that all came down to sort of self-awareness about me again just like mm. you've talked about authenticity and, and identity as a coach Looking in that realm as somebody who's now probably leading people as well, any mistakes there that you slipped up with or things you struggle with now? Like, I think it's important to talk about what you still struggle with. We all still struggle with things. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably the, 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 the main thing I'd go to is just that the, the, the relationship, but a little bit maybe linked to what you just said there in terms of managing that relationship. Because typically, I'll be looking after students. They might be on my course. They might be on a different course. Uh, yeah. And we might be in an environment that's outside of the university. So it's kind of, it's managing that relationship that, that means there is a kind of a nurturing environment, but it's not, it's, it's not too frenzy, if that makes sense. I think mm -hmm. that's something I struggle with because I, I'm a diff, I, I, I can be a different person, let's say in a football club than I would be in, in the classroom. And I think that's right. Mm. I should be a different person because they're completely different environments. So, you know, those individuals that are then kind of under my leadership might see a different side of me. And then mm. that opens the door then to potentially them being different with me in the other situation, maybe in, in the classroom, for example. So mm. it's, uh, you know, managing that has been a challenge. Um, and I think something I still work on, something I still try and get right, because I don't want to be, I don't want to be a closed door. I want to be myself. As we talked about, it's important for me to coach the way that I feel like I should coach. Um, but then I have to have that sort of peripheral understanding that there are also individuals around me that perhaps shouldn't see that kind of yeah. side of me to that to that extent so it's it's a bit of a, yeah. bit of a sliding door really nice i want to just wrap up with something that's probably a bit more comfortable for you and i've okay. put you off the spot on a lot of the, the no, maybe the non-technical things like if we go like you you're really well versed in vbt tech data insights right 
a lot of listeners will relate to frustrations with technology, mistakes made with technology. Is there anything we can just hone in on and wrap up here around your experiences of things that you've stumbled with, messed up on in technology-wise, lessons learned that will be really useful for people to, to take away from this, this part of the pod? Yeah, I think lessons learned from technology is um, technology is there to assist you. Technology is there mm. to assist you, but you are the coach. Do not fall into the trap of, of either letting the technology be the coach or don't do in, not doing the coaching because your head is in an iPad. I think mm. that's feedback I've got from a, a piece of research I did from you know, top-level coaches that, that they have felt that sometimes the VBT side, the technology side of things, takes them away from what they should be doing. That's on the, the, the shot floor in front of the athletes, building the relationships, coaching, uh, you know, doing whatever. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, solutions to that problem is firstly, check the tech, make sure it's working, make sure you know how to use it proficiently, that you're not in a situation where you're like, why is this happening? I've never come across this before. Trial and test it in so many, in as many different environments and situations that you can, that you know how to troubleshoot, speak to the tech companies and say, what happens if this happens? Or what do I do if this happens? Um, and then try and make sure that the way you use the technology is short and sharp. You know, so you're not, nice. your head isn't in the iPad or your head isn't on a computer typing away. You know, technology has got to a point now where a lot of it can be done automatically. So you don't need to then be sort of, right, well, if you've got that velocity, I need to plug this into my into my spreadsheet and figure out what the next working load is going to be and then figure out the velocity loss is going to be and then work out what that that velocity represents and then make sure I'm watching to make sure that we hit that velocity or or, or whatever. Hmm. I think we can trust the tech that it's it's kind of it's advanced enough that it does a lot of that for us. But yeah. definitely make sure that you're still present within the room, which I again I have I have made that mistake many a time. Yeah. Same here. And I think if I can just yeah, you know, wrap up with you here is that You've clearly talked about preparation, know the tech, know the troubleshooting. And I feel like that's where a lot of practitioners I've worked with have got it wrong as well, is expecting the technology to be faultless. Yeah. Seeing the output at one point and expecting that to be this, what happens every time. And tech isn't fail safe. So, and generally troubleshooting is logical. If it doesn't work, it's because of something in the process somewhere that you might as a human have got errors got wrong in that sense. So, um, yeah, and the biggest mistakes I've made to just give people, you know, comfort in the fact they probably made the mistakes is just things like not being prepared to like charge and think ahead, yeah. charging <laughs> equipment, you know, and have I got the right equipment and the right charge in them for what I need to do? Um, because there's nothing worse than than an athlete feeling you aren't able to deliver on something that you're yeah. trying to deliver on. It just shows a, a lack of confidence. So I think yeah. uh, we can both hold our hands up there and give comfort to people listening that 100%. Um, generally it's not that hard to get right. We've just, it's been a big oversight yeah. uh, in terms of preparation. Yeah. Steve, thank you so much on behalf of everyone listening. Amazing. Both episodes here for sharing so candidly here and, and giving some real key principles of operation with the VBT use in the strategies part of this uh, podcast. Um, so yeah, thank you so much, but I really, really appreciate your time. My pleasure, Dan. It's been, it's been a really great experience. I've enjoyed it. So thank you. 
some kind words from Steve there, and I'm really glad it's a reflective process for him as a practitioner that many will look up to. And it's nice to see that we've all made very similar mistakes, especially in that tech space. As I mentioned before, if you'd like to enter the competition to win over £600 worth of mentorship, including access to my community for free, then please do so by looking at the link in the show notes. Next week, we have Jack Oten, who is part of the NFL Academy, talking about preparing athletes for a combine. Um, I'll leave it at that. I hope you can tune in next week for that episode.